You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 638, the Taylor Swift candle, the best and worst breakup songs, the trouble with being nearly famous, and Sam Mendes and his four Beatles movies. That's all coming up after the Georgia satellites and battleship chains. Raucous is how we might describe this single. <laughs> <laughs> it charges along, and uh, well, don't blame me if it stays in your head for the rest of the day. It comes from their first album, um, which was named after the band. 86 on Billboard, 44 in the UK from 1986. Georgia Satellites and Battleship Chains. Oh, my God, Terence. <laughs> as Mrs. Bennett would say, won't somebody think of my poor nerves? I mean, that is, that is. I probably have, I, I spent a, a couple of sessions on a Hastings Rock FM, the limited hours, um, yes. uh, limited license, um, May sort of a rock rock thing. I probably did have to play that on the playlist at some point, <laughs> I suspect. I'm not anti that. I just need to be in a very specific mm. mood. <laughs> Welcome aboard. It's Parish Council episode 638. I'm Terence R.A.J. Dackham and mm. DJ, writer, lawyer, musician, 
comedian, Polymath of the Year Award winner, it's Juliet Harris. That is very kind. Thank you. Uh, really, if I was a true polymath, I would win awards for all of those things. And then you get a sort of composite award, <laughs> I assume. I'm not quite sure how that works. Anyway, hello, everybody. At, at school, if you, um, whoever won the, the most um, prizes on sports day would also be awarded the Victor Ludorum, which I mm. think was the equivalent of what you're talking about. Somebody who wins all the other awards and then it gets blended into one big award at the end, the Victor Ludorum. Mm, I quite yeah. like that. The sort of the, um, the kind of champion of champions. Champion of champions, world. indeed. Um, now, uh, Jules, I know you have your own lovely property, a delightful apartment. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yep. on the cost of this Sussex but I fear you may sometimes think to yourself there's something missing here yes. if it only does my... happen on occasion yeah I, 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 was, I was anticipating that so you're probably thinking if only my lovely home could smell like Taylor Swift then life would be complete. That's how I imagine you think from time I mean, to time. I mean, you know, perhaps on the odd moment, I do. <laughs> I, I think you might have crystallised something I hadn't quite realised in my head. Well, I can help you because Amazon are now selling a candle that smells like Taylor Swift. How they actually researched this, I, was I don't say, know. How, how do we know? <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is very alarming, Terence. Mm-hmm. This is, I, I look, having seen this link, this is... I, I, extremely unauthorised by the look of this. I, I, I don't feel that. That I mean, I, I, I Taylor would be involved in this. I don't think you would. It's a very, it's a very great shame because uh, Taylor's official merchandise, those lovely cardigans, I've long been a big fan of. But yes, <laughs> I find this, I find this extremely alarming. I mean, not as alarming as Gwyneth Paltrow's candles, which she claimed oh, to. God. Yes, that, yes, that was not ideal, was it? Really, no, but no, um, no. I can't. I mean, I, I, you know, there are times where, you know, that the home smells more of the bin than I would like it to. <laughs> I understand why I would I'd like to have. We have a very nice candle that's a sort of a pine affair that my mum bought my, my girlfriend for Christmas. Um, it's, uh, I can't remember what the make is now, but it's something from Cornwall. We were out in a, in a, in a, a, a museum gift shop. Uh, it was at the National Gallery, I think, or one of those, those places. Mm. And mum said, oh, Michelle likes this brand. Clearly they have these conversations and I don't know. Mm. And, um, and would you like, a, would you like, a, you should get, we should get one for her because she can't be here with us in London today. So, so our house smells, my flat smells of pine as a result at the moment. That is extremely pleasant and sort of Christmassy, but in a kind of a vaguely festive way rather than a Christmas way. I'm not sure what Taylor would bring to the party, I'll be honest. She would bring sandalwood and vanilla, apparently. That's would the fragrance no, of the... Actually, that's, like, yeah. it, it, as a fragrance, that sounds pleasant, yes. but I'm still not sold on the Taylor Swift. OK, well, one review on Amazon seems to have mixed views because she says, <laughs> with, a, with a daughter who is a huge Taylor Swift fan, I thought this would be a nice gift. She'll be thrilled with it. Personally, I think it's a very small candle with a cheap printed sticker on it. Oh, dear. <laughs> anyway, if Taylor doesn't appeal, the same company they offer smells like Harry Styles candles. Oh, I, I can imagine that's a popular sale. I'm sure it is. Or Tom, Tom Hiddleston. Or <laughs> that's a bizarre one. Or Johnny Depp, and I think that would be a bit leathery, wouldn't it? I feel though? that would be a bit much for me. Yes, I must so say. Much. I mean, I, I think so. And he does those terrible perfume adverts where he plays the guitar as well. Yes, oh but you always know when it's Christmas coming because that starts again. You just yes. think, oh no. Although funny this, I can I can sort of have a, a, a semi-related and a sort of anecdote to this in that um you um so so the uh, the Nirvana salt. So well, okay, I, I'll go 
those listeners say that once upon a time back in Seattle, back in the day, uh, Kurt Cobain was friendly with um, with various people, including the woman that went on to be singer in Bikini Kill and the Tigra, Kathleen Hanna, who I think I might have mentioned in dispatches on this podcast before and probably chosen a couple of her records. And mm. she and a friend um, would hang out at Kurt Cobain's apartment and they would tease him for a brand of deodorant that he used to wear, which was seen, I think, as being a little bit naff and a little bit sort of, you know, for not exactly body shop over here, but you know what I mean. It's sort of a little bit kind of, you know, perhaps that's mm. not for a that's for, perhaps not for an adult. As a result of which, Kathleen Hanna went over around his house one night, and he was living in I think not the most salubrious of places. Uh, it was the sort of place where one could do this and it would fit the decor. She took out a, a, a tin of sort of graffiti paint and spray paint and sprayed on the wall the legendary Kurt Cobain smells like. Teen Spirit, the name uh, of the deodorant, and ooh. that is where the name of the song came from. Well, I, di- well, I didn't know. So, so ideally, one would like a candle that smelled like Kirk Cobain, I guess, to keep that thing going, and then Taylor Swift would write a song about it, presumably. I don't know, but anyway, that's a, that's a factoid for you there. What, one of the... the, the um things that keeps me amused about the Johnny Depp um, mm. thing is that it's well, called... fiasco, really, yeah. Yes, it's called Sauvage. And I've seen plenty of uh, bus shelters where uh, someone's oh, come yes. in with a marker pen and changed the V to an S. Yes. Uh, Johnny Depp's Sausage. I mean, I mean Do- Johnny Depp's Sausage has caused yeah. some issues over the years, well, I think, hasn't so it? it does, so. really, yes, that's true, certainly true. Now, now, I learned something new this week from the, the, mm. the Guardian newspaper here in the UK. Oh, I it can still happen. It was a, it's been an education, frankly, oh. because I didn't know people had breakup songs. Uh, mm. Of course, I, mean, I get the falling in love songs. You know, yes. Maybe a song that was playing when you first locked eyes yes, across exactly. a room. You know, a tune that reminds you of walking hand in hand along a deserted mm. beach. All of that. I get that. Um, mm. But why are one jewels? Do people put themselves through the misery of lying in the fetal position, weeping and listening to Bonnie Raitt uh, singing, I can't make you love me oh i mean i don't know although there are some very shouty ones that i've enjoyed very much i must say sometimes you just i mean i don't know when i was a teenager like many heartbroken teenagers never ever by all saints was uh, was what i was very keen on with its immortal opening line a few questions that i need to know how you would ever hurt me so one of the greatest spoken word openings oh, yeah. when you are a teenager having said that i do quite like the wildly angry ones you ought to know by Alanis morissette that is an enjoyably Furious song, which I like very much. Um, Rags by the Waterboys, that does pack a punch. There's a lot going on in that. Um, I just think it's, um, I, you know, sometimes people need these songs to emote to, don't they? I think sometimes, sometimes it can be hard. It, I, and I have sympathy with this. And I think I think back to lockdown when we were all going through a very difficult time, and I went through a breakup during that period. And sometimes there are songs that sometimes you get to a certain stage, I think, of emotional overload where you just feel literally choked up that you can't really cry. And sometimes things like this are quite good for turning a tap on. So I can understand why people sometimes might need something to help sort of free a log jam, even if that is, I'm not entirely convinced, according to the Guardian reader, that it changes by Black Sabbath. But um, there's <laughs> choices. Um, Without You by Nielsen is, of course, um, and the very sad story of, of uh, Badfinger writing it, of course. Mm. But um, but it's an, it, you know, an incredible song. And I think that any song that can capture an emotion or a time that is universal. There's some interesting choices on the Guardian's playlist. It's Not Right, But It's Okay by Whitney Houston, which is enjoyed by Elena Demopoulos, I think that's pronounced, who says that um, 
I never went to J school, but I learned everything anyone needs to know about how to be an investigative reporter, reporter from Detective Whitney Houston. In just four <laughs> short minutes, this song describes our hero's period-level investigation into a deadbeat lover. She looks through his phone, digs through the trash, and literally finds the receipts to prove once and for all that he's a filthy, lying cheater. I quite like that sort of... Um, <clears throat> I like that whole um, that whole thing. Mm. I think that's that's really good. Um, Fleetwood Mac, of course, so good at love songs that half the band broke up with each other. Same with <laughs> ABBA as well. One of us yeah. is lying. Oh, I've done that many times. And the, the, I, I very much enjoyed the, the choice of One More Hour by Cecil Kinney about the breakup, allegedly, of the two people in the band. Janet, uh, not Janet Vice, and the other two. Um, Carrie Brownstein and um, Corinne Tucker still recording with Cecil Kinney together to this day. Um that makes good use of their twin guitars and twin vocals. Um, you know, there are mm. some people that are particularly good at breakup songs, and you can buy compilation CDs of these. Sort of like, with the same sort of like artist of like, art, sort of artwork of like, you know, Daily Mail love song style ones with like half. Yes. You can buy one called Sad Songs. So oh, I don't know yes. if that is helpful for people. Sometimes, I, I can understand why sometimes you might just need something to let it all out to but sometimes if i'm sad i like to put on music that makes me happy well i've had a lot of relationships go pear-shaped and if i had to have a breakup song for each of them i'd have to compile this a massive spotify playlist of oh man oh but gosh I, I feel a certain affinity with candy statton who appears in that yes i like her yeah breakups and this is because candy statton i i didn't know this till i read it in the guardian has been candy statton been married six times wow. so frankly she should be able to write good songs about yes. breaking up with she's partners. a sort of world authority she had a laura laura husbands hasn't she mm-hmm. good I I think the very worst thing to do immediately after a breakup is to surround yourself with songs of misery and despair. I mean, I I would put away Leonard Cohen and Joy Division and put on some sunshine pop. and Maybe that would be nice, yeah. And crucially, light your Taylor Swift candle. Indeed, that's the thing. That's, you know, those notes of sandalwood and vanilla are enough to uplift anybody. Coming right up, the rejects, the history of not Mm. quite making it and the best stage invasions. That's next after the selector.
enough to cheer anyone up, isn't it? As always, you know, I do like the selectors' bounce. They, to me, felt like they were the bounciest of the ska bands. Um, I very much liked them. Um, I could have picked any of their tunes, really, but I particularly like that, and I fancied that this week. Three Minute Hero by Selector. Got a new album out in April and appearing mm. at a number of festivals this summer. Pauline Black, of yes. course, OBE, and yes. I didn't know this until today. Pauline Black, Deputy Lieutenant of the West Midlands. You she see, represents I, His Majesty at I think events. that is excellent. I think I might have known that because it was something to do with Coventry being the city of culture, I think. Oh, I, I think there was a. I think it might have come out as a result of that. But anyway, she wears very well, Pauline Black. I'm a, yes. I'm a fan. She does well. She's good value. So if the local paper you know, go to open yes. a new uh, community centre, you could have Pauline, Pauline Black, Black there. Yes, that, that is great. That's very enjoyable. I like that. That's even better than, I don't know if she still is, but at one point, the bloke that is Aphex Twin's sister was the Welsh Secretary of State for Climate Change. <laughs> I so I enjoy this, this very <laughs> random people appearing in places. <laughs> Who was the lady that was in an indie band and a senior civil servant as well? Oh, Amelia oh. Fletcher. Yes. Heavenly and Tallulah Gosh, who yeah. was who was head of markets at the at the um competition, uh mergers and acquisitions or something like that, at the the competition um quango or something. Yes, and she yes, is yes. OBE for services to the financial industry, I think. So, yes, she um, is, and is she, now she teaching competition law at UEA. So yes, there are yes. and I think Tilly Gosh in general have been um have been kind of written up as the most overachieving kind of minor indie band ever. Because when you look at all of their achievements, not just her, one of them I believe one that went on to win the Turner Prize, I think. I'm just having a look to see to see who they were. Um yes, Elizabeth Price um went on uh, went on to win the um she she won the turner prize in 2012 Good so uh, so they were fairly packed in, in yeah, terms of the talent i would say imagine going through life as uh pete best pete best mm. still very much with us at 82 years of age there must be days when he thinks if it hadn't been for george martin in 1962 it could so easily have been john paul george and pete for Although all those years they have been successful one well, never knows. we all never know and that's the theme of a new book by jamie collinson it's called the mm. rejects and has the subheader an alternative history of popular music mm. brian jones is in it florence ballard of the supremes yes. is in it it's a mix of the tragic and the absurd jewels yeah, absolutely. Um, it, he said so. So this article that's uh, by Tim Dowling, that's reviewing Jamie Collinson's book, says, and I think it's very spot on. Um, it's uh, he says that there's a single to be lessons to be drawn from this catalogue of sackings. It's that no one is safe. Florence Ballard was the teenage founder of the Supremes, recruiting two friends to join her: Mary, Mary Wilson from school and Diana Ross from church or Diane Ross, as she was then. By the time of their first number one single, Diane had changed her name to Diana. By the time of their tenth, um, ten number ones, that is crazy, isn't mm. it? Um, mm. Their name had, been, um, had name had been changed to Diana Ross and the Supremes in 1967. Ballard, who struggled with drinking and her weight was fired, paid off, forced to relinquish royalty rights, and banned from preferring to herself as a former Supreme. Mm. Um, Cindy Bird's song replaced Francis Ballard. Um, they continued to thrive. Francis Ballard died at the age of 32. What a terrible story. Yeah, can't um, get to rest at seems, 32. I know. It seems to um, it seems to include everyone ever sacked from Fleetwood Mac, including, of course, Lindsay <laughs> Buckingham, as we discussed on the podcast at the time in 2018, replaced by Neil Finn. Um, there are a few repeat offenders. Jason Everman got himself kicked out of Bo Nirvana and Soundgarden, which is quite impressive, really, I think. Um 
Many but not all of the rejects, cautionary tales of addiction and depressing number no longer with us. Um, but they said the bitterest breaks um, are usually about money, but sometimes they're just about the wrong look. I've enjoyed this little story. Pavement, 1990, uh, what described brilliantly by Tim Dowling, as 1990s purveyors of sawtoothed indie rock, started out with a 40-year-old drummer called Gary Young, who was a former hippie that had rock sensibilities. His thing was doing handstands whilst on stage with the rest of the band, who were boys in their 20s that stayed at their shoes in check shirts. Um, it didn't turn out to be a sustainable mix, not least because as well as being a bit out of step was also an out-of-control alcoholic. They had a backup percussionist in case he was unable to keep time. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, in a drummer, that is not ideal. Um, Collinson points out, you're more likely to kick, be kicked out of a band, not for doing drugs, but for doing the wrong drugs, i.e. the one different <laughs> ones to everybody else. That's what happened to... Um, Stephen Adler getting fired from Guns N' Roses, a band where you think it would be impossible to be fired for doing too many drugs, but he was just doing the wrong drugs, apparently. Um, quite a few of these. I mean, I would like to read this book, but it just... It, 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 it does seem like it has a lot of sadness in it I for me. I would say it'd be quite a depressing it, it, read, I think. I think. So. Um, they, uh, there's, a, there's a list of female... Mostly it's men, although there are female, female rejects, including two members of Destiny's Child, one sugar babe, and Kim Shattuck formerly depicted to replace Kim Deal, um, who was fired for the reason given was performing a stage dive on stage, although I think that relationship had been problematic before beforehand. It feels like everybody is replaceable. Um, yes, although having said that, how interesting that bands like Coldplay, U2 and The Beatles, who have been successful in a massive way, and The Rolling Stones actually, Brian Jones aside, for a number of years, have all kept the same lineup, haven't they? Mm, yeah, they, 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 got their, they got their switching done early on. Yes, I was. Um, I was interested in that interview with you mentioned Stephen Adler, who was fired from Guns N' Roses. There's an mm-hmm. interesting quote from him. I mean, his drug intake was spectacular heroin, crack, cocaine, and he says there was a band meeting that turned into an intervention. And I, I was quite <laughs> quite uh, taken with this. I nodded. I nodded to each hopeful, shiny face. I saw the love in their eyes. So I promised them I would go straight out and do more drugs than I'd ever done before. Then I oh, saw the lights oh. go out in their eyes. So perhaps unsurprisingly, he was sacked. Um, yes, the, the book is The Rejects by Jamie Collinson. It's published by Constable in the UK, 25 quid. It looks interesting, but you'll need a strong stomach, I think. Yes, I think so. That fellow that got on stage when mm. the Oppenheimer people were receiving the Best Film Award at yes. uh, BAFTAs last weekend. Um, of course, he's described as a YouTube prankster. Uh, yes, another one. But of course, I yes. Particularly interesting about his quiet uh, sort of stage invasion is how he did it. Um, remarkably simply, it seems he, he gave an interview to the Mail and he said he simply put on a high vis vest over his suit and pretended to be part of the security team. And <laughs> quote, it was just me walking in and being confident, really. So uh, really a simple guide for any there for anyone who has bad intentions. But it's strange because I've been to the BAFTAs, admittedly not for a while. My last time was when it was at the Royal Opera House in 2014. But the security then was red hot. You had to have your sort of invitation ticket name checked, like at least three places, you know, three separate places, bags checked. Um, But this year was at the Festival Hall. Um, So um, anyway, if you want to sneak into any event, wear a yellow high-vis jacket, it seems, Jules. It would seem so, yes. I remember Mick, I think it was Mix Mag, did a feature once years and years ago now that was... um, 
that was basically a guide of how to blag into clubs. And their main tip seemed to be carry a large record box and or have a fit mate. So uh, so I'm not quite sure <laughs> whether that worked. Um, there, there was a, your, your man, there's a man that so, so, so Jimmy Five Bellies was notorious, wasn't Ooh, he? For being, G- uh, being a, yes, Gazza's pal for, for, for in, in, in a invading. And also a chap, I don't know if you're familiar with the adventures. I'm trying to find his real name. Simon Brodkin, the comedian, oh, also yes, known yes. as Lee Nelson, um, who's done various things of invading over the years. Um, he's, I'm trying, he, he uh, gets himself into team photos when England are playing international he's also, that sort of thing. Um, he's also um, invaded the, the, the stage at X Factor. He, <laughs> at the reopening of Donald Trump's Trump's Turnberry Golf Resort, he hijacked his speech with Nazi golf balls. Um, he was <laughs> dispersed the balls amongst the podium and began giving out balls to the crowd. And also, most memorably, interrupted Theresa May's disastrous speech at the Tory Party conference in October 2017, which she, which he interrupted her, gave her a P45 on stage, and said it was. A Boris Johnson, how right that turned out to be, yeah. and um, and she then developed that terrible cough as the letters in the background fell down behind oh, her. That gosh, really was one of those anxiety things. He also um, pranked himself as well, bizarrely. Um, in November 2012, during a signing at HMV at Oxford Street, he performed a prank as Nelson in which he stole his own DVD and was <laughs> chased by an actor dressed as a policeman, a real policeman, believe it was an actual theft, and then it arrested him. So um, that was unfortunate. He also gate-crashed a performance by Kanye West at Glastonbury and had to be removed by security. I'm quite... I'm a bit of a fan of stage invasions. Mm. The ultimate, of course, being Jarvis Cocker versus Michael Jackson at the Brits. Jarvis Cocker invading um, Michael Jackson's ludicrous performance of the if ever more ludicrous Earth song. Um, his last number one, I think, in the UK. And, um, and you know, just just showed it up for the slightly ridiculous performance that it was. And um, and was cha- I remember getting chased by that old man that I think was meant to be Methuselah. They were all dressed up quite biblically, weren't they? And this very old man with a large stick chased after him with uh, that I seem to remember. He ended up in the cells overnight and his barrister and solicitor representation were Clive James and Bob Mortimer, who had been attending the Brits. <laughs> and so then decided to utilise their skills. Um, he felt that he was he'd been treated as a celebrity at the police station because he was allowed to sell with a bit of padding on the bench. So he felt that he received good treatment as a result. So more in the Guardian. I love the fact that they're, they're given someone versus someone. So Streaker versus David Niven, um, Stones fan versus Keith. Um, I'm afraid you're John Terry, um, as famously um, <laughs> in, 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 taking extreme prominence in a team photo in a match during which he'd been banned for in a, in a full kit, unfortunately. I, that, that was, I can see why he did it, but um, various spoofs of that over the years. David May did a very similar thing when Manchester United won the European Cup in 1999. He was extremely prominent in the photos and I think had played the minimum amount of matches you'd get to get a medal, I think. So I think that gets, that gets done. Poor old Bob Dylan got in, who I now see as poor old Bob Dylan after that lovely We Are The World documentary, which he was a good yes. sport. Um he was, as they put it, he was honking out lovesick when the backing dancer at the 1998 Grammys tore off his shirt to reveal the bizarre slogan, Soy Bomb, emblazoned on his chest and was um, jerked to the jerkily dancing. Bob Dylan continued on like he was. Um, 
ODB from the Grammy, the, uh, from Boys Town Clown that year, also uh, caused an event for Grammys by crashing the stage to launch into a drunken tirade about his new suit. Costed a lot of money because I figured we was going to win before concluding Wu Tang is for the children. I mean, what a what a speech that was. Thank you, Mr. DB, for uh, for you know for, for for explaining that for us here. Garamond Harris versus Gentwood, um, a signer versus Barack Obama. Um, there have been some very strange things. Well, I, I think my top two are, as you, you've mentioned, Jarvis Cocker at the Brits, pr- you know, pricking the pomposity of Michael Jackson's yeah. and the like performance. But I, um, I, I often think of this. And I, it, 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 I looked at the video of it the other day, and it still is excruciating as ever. Kanye, uh, I'm going to let you finish with Taylor Swift, of course. Yeah. Uh, way back when Taylor was just, you know, getting underway. Indeed. Uh, you know, Beyonce did the best video of the year. I mean, that's just excruciating. Of all at, time, now. yes, indeed. But um, I've been on the road uh, with bands, mostly uh, in the punk era, but also others. And it's all a complete mixed bunch of people over the years, including um, Chuck Berry, John Peel, Spike Milligan, a real, um, you know, very differing list. But with any bands I work with... If anyone tried to get on stage in that era, a roadie would be out there and give them very short shrift. I mean, a mm. biff around the bonds and out the back door. So, you know, we live in, I was struck by this, that we live in much more liberal times we these do. days. We do, worryingly. <laughs> and, of course, and of course, your man throwing glitter over Keir Starmer at the yes. Labour Party conference, who, to be fair, turned it to their advantage. You can still buy a Sparkle with Starmer t-shirt for £20 oh, from the Labour Party website. And, there, and his Christmas card with his wife featured glitter. So, uh, so, so perhaps one can turn it to one. Yes, you have to have a sense of humour with these things if you don't want it to turn into a political disaster. And he he turned that round very well. Still more to come. Sam Mendes and his portfolio of Beatles films. That's next after George Michael. Yeah. 
Do you know, I think that's my favourite live track of all time. It's such a fantastic, spirited performance. George at his peak, more than 100,000 mm. people in attendance at the Maracanã Stadium in Rio. Live from Rock in Rio, 1991, George Michael and Baby Don't Change Your Mind. That is a lovely choice. And like you say, how wonderful to hear George Michael in full flow. Absolutely. Um, As we tend to say very often here, just when you think there's nothing new to learn about the Beatles, say hello to Oscar-winning director Sam Mendes, Mm. who has announced, not with his Brazil 66, but he's announced... That's a slightly different as Mendes, I think, but a very good reference. Uh, He's announced, uh, rather in the manner of a bombshell, really, that he is to make four separate Mm. films, um, fiction, uh, one for each member of the Beatles, all with the approval of Sir Paul, Ringo and the families of George and John. Um, who saw that coming? Not me. No. Um, huge bonus. Apple, and this is a, this is absolutely crucial, I think. Mm. Apple have granted full licensing of the re, of the yes. original music, which is a major selling point, I think. Um, it seems you'll have to wait until 2027, Jules, but how do you feel about four Beatles films in development? Well, it's interesting to know, isn't it? I mean, of course, a money spin and inevitably people... I mean, what's going to be the... Is this going to be Beetleheimer and that everyone's going to go and see them all four in a row, presumably, like Barbenheimer? So presumably this will be yet another resurrection of the cinema industry, I suspect, because I probably will go and see this at the cinema. We would, I think, oh, me and my other half. But, um, but uh, like you, much encouraged by the fact that it's being told with full cooperation. And actually, mm. I make a sort of... um. I think I make an exception. So in the past, I've always said for documentaries, I've always said if it's um, if it's official. And there was a very, we we talked I think recently about uh, you know people aren't always good at telling their own story if they claim to be telling it factually, like in a in a biopic. Yes. And there was a good I think it was the Tortoise Slow News podcast that recently had had a episode that was called My Life According to Me that was about this kind of upswell in. Beckham's and you know those kind of sanitized style documentaries and the Rooney one we watched and stuff like that and actually I I do feel that you know documentaries are often best told by people that are not the people themselves however um, I think that officially sanctioned things fictional things are much to be preferred because as you say it's done with cooperation, so you get the music, and that's the that's the big thing. I went to see. I think you might remember me talking about this. And um, I saw Motown, the mu- the official stage musical that was yeah. sanctioned by the Berry Gordy family and estate. Um, the theatre, I can't remember which one it was. Now it was one of the the theatre land ones with my mum a few years ago, and it was a sort of a musical where. It was sort of jukebox in the sense there was a story and it told the story of Motown and it was great because they, there was actually good it as well and it was done like from sort of beginning to end. It was really great. So they did what's going on and like someone came on as Marvin Gaye in a little knitted orange hat. It was really great. And uh, they had a thing that was sort of like they, they, they tried to cram in as many songs as possible. So there were 50 songs, but only like a few that were in full. But they, they picked some crackers to be in full. But um, the thing that I noticed about it, of course, is that it had all that that lovely Motown music. Would that have been as good if they've had to make up songs that sounded like Motown but weren't Marvin Gaye, The Supremes and Diana Ross, yeah. The Temptations? You know, I don't think it would have been as good, frankly. So I, 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 I'm encouraged by this. Um, 
I'm encouraged by the cooperation, and I think that such is the power of the of the Beatles and, and Apple Apple Corps is that anything that isn't official, with the exception of Backbeat, which I rather liked, the dramatization, mm. um, is always a bit poor and a bit thin because they haven't got. Although I did it. What, what about the Beatles in India that we watched? Was that was that official or not? Because that was quite good. I seem to remember. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah. I don't but, think it was. Uh, no, I but think, it, no. I don't think it, it it suffered through not having the music though. I thought that was quite good because i suppose it was sort of a story wasn't it but in this case if you're going to do a biopic you can't really do a biopic without using the music can you really for people for people like this so the fact that it's got the music the fact that it's cooperation the fact that it's been made by sam mendes i think this could be quite good the get back had the cooperation and it had peter jackson didn't it so it's another yes. big heavyweight director i really hope this is good um i have high hopes for this given given the people involved in the fact it's official you know what's going to be the toughest part of the, the, these movies? It's going to be the casting. Uh, yes, I was just sure... thinking, who are they? What do they do? Do they go for someone like Michael Sheen, who plays well, everybody, yes. or do they go for someone that's completely unknown? This is it. I think they, first of all, I think they must surely have the four key actors in place before the announcement, because yes. if not, Sam Mendes' office is going to be deluged with requests yes, exactly. for screeners. No, my feeling is that the four main characters will be cast from new or less well-known actors. Because for um, your, your sort of Academy Award level actors, it'll mm. be a case of being on a hiding to nothing. And I'm not mm. sure that any really established actors of that level will want to take the risk. No, exactly. But, I thought, uh, by the way, and just mm. as, a, as, a, as a side oh. point, and again, speaking to our fandom of Paul McCartney on this, so Paul oh, yes. McCartney on this podcast, that we like very much, we're Church of Paul around these parts, aren't we? Um, mm. He was consulted on Nowhere Boy, which was a film made by Sam Taylor Wood, as then was, now Sam Taylor Johnson, who married uh, Aaron Johnson, who played John Lennon in that film, that's oh, how they yeah. met, I believe. Um, and Paul McCartney uh, consulted on it and asked Sam Taylor Wood to make changes because he thought the portrayal of Lennon's Aunt Mimi was too unkind oh okay I said, that's a rather that's a rather that's heartwarming a and classy moment apparently he preferred um he um he preferred the, the yesterday that was written by by richard carter's which Curtis, which doesn't you tell the beatles story but uses the band's uh, 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 music mm. i love paul mccartney's um paul mccartney's um quote to this he said richard curtis wrote to me with the idea and i thought that's a terrible idea but i couldn't tell him so i said well that sounds interesting good luck <laughs> however <laughs> he enjoyed the film and watched it at the cinema with his wife he said we were in the hamptons and there it was so we got two tickets and walked in when the cinema went dark only a couple of people saw us he said we sat in the back row gigging away especially at the mentions of paul mccartney a couple of people in front of us spotted up as everyone else was watching the film we loved it i think that's really nice so um that's so sweet. i wish them well I was I was thinking of putting myself forward for the mm. McCartney role actually uh, in this in these movies, but I think it's only fair to let others have a go. I think um, that's very charitable of you. But, so thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have I, put you forward though. Mm, I put you on. forward as Olivia Harrison, Jaws. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I, I'm some Mendes will be in touch with you. I'm looking forward to that. I, 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 yes, I was thinking if there was a role for me in that. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, my, I could brush up on my scouse and be young Scylla Black, possibly in a wig. Oh, yes. I'm not sure. I or, or you know, one of the um, 
Oh, I don't know. I tell you what, when I my hair, I say when I used to have my hair long, I'm still getting used to the fact I have my hair long again several years in. But mm. when I first had my hair long as a teenager, my mum often used to compare me to Kathy McGowan from Ready Oh, Ready from Ready Steady Go. I can yes, see that. Maybe, maybe that's me. Maybe, maybe I'm playing her when they appear on. Did they? They must have appeared on Ready to Steady Go. I think they would have done. Oh, so, they did. So, oh, yeah, for sure they did. I'm uh, happy to have a go at Olivia Harrison, but I think that Kathy McGowan, I'm more of a more of a uh, more more of a cameo role, I think. Well, yes, I suppose so. But uh, yeah, no, I, I'm really taken with the Kathy McGowan. No, that's, that's I'm great. glad. I'm glad we've workshopped that, said team. Yeah, Sam, Sam Mendes, I'm doing. You can't see it because it's radio, but I'm doing the call me sign with this phone <laughs> in my hand. Um, regarding always something new to learn about the Beatles, I've just finished Kenneth Womack's. I found really superb biography of mm. um authorized and helped by the family, particularly yes. Mel's son Gary. Again, again, a key thing, I think. Yeah, well, yes, very much. If you're not a Beatles fan, to clarify, to call Mel Evans a roadie is to substantially underplay his significance in the Beatles story. Uh, There's so much to take from this book. But what I just sort of wanted to mention, because I've just finished it, much of it doesn't reflect well on the Beatles who treated Mel and Neil Aspinall very poorly, Mm. substantially underpaid. And the worst of it, despite Mel Evans' absolute devotion, Paul and George, I mean, you said, we talked about Paul's kindness earlier, Paul Mm. and George are particularly cruel in this. That's Um, such a shame and disappointing. Yeah, Younger men, of course. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Um, Despite going on holiday with Mel and asking him to live in the house, in in, in Paul's house in St John's Wood, I mean, Paul, he literally leaves Mel in tears when he's making his uh, solo album um after the breakup of the Beatles and he told him quote I don't need you anymore Mel um and just cut him off just didn't oh, call no, him for about three that's years terrible and then possibly worse in April 74 so now we're just talking about two years before uh well realistically Mel mm. engendered the end of his own life yeah. in April 1974 uh, Mel decides Mel Evans decides wants to move on from all Beatles and Apple's He's been doing it for for like 12, 13 years. He wants to do something else. Try. He wants to try and become a songwriter and producer. And by the way, there's an mm. awful lot in there about his work with Badfinger, which again, Apple mm. treated him so badly. Anyway, he wants to become a songwriter producer. John, Paul and Ringo are supportive. But uh, Mal phones George at Friar Park. He tells George he's leaving. George says, so what? And puts the phone down. And oh, that... That's much of the tone of the treatment of Mal Evans, who put the Beatles before everything, including himself and his family. Yes, that is that is very sad, and I'm sorry. Yeah, but however, Mal Evans, very excellent. I like to. Well, I'm not sure if I can deal with the sadness of the book, but I very much enjoyed seeing Mal Evans in the Get Back documentaries. Of course, he he features prominently in that, making them all their tea and their toast, and banging an anvil in Maxwell. Yes, he's excellent at that. Thank you for listening. As ever, great to have you there. Yes, always. I support my my friend and co-host, Cersei, in this endeavour. To play us out, uh, a track, Jules, I was unaware of, but discovered on one of your splendid Spotify playlists. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're enjoying them. Mm. I put them together sometimes. I think I'm super Jules. I might just be Juliet Harris on Spotify. Juliet Harris is your name. You can find me on there, and I I make little playlists and for for myself and occasionally others. And um, I made one for Sir T recently, actually off the back of um, last week's Ugly Duckling and A Little Samba, uh, which Terence enjoyed. So I thought I'd throw a few things that he, he would like on that. I discovered this fairly recently, I think, through Spotify's algorithm. Um, 
me and my friends are often the view that there is a reggae cover of pretty much everything in the whole world. Yeah, I mean, everything's been covered in a reggae style. But this is particularly good. There's been there's been a resurgence in kind of modern reggae covers recently. And this was released, I think it got a limited seven-inch release last year, towards the end of last year. Hadn't heard this before. Um, it, it's a cover of a song that was already heavily sample, uh, heavily based on a sample. So it was originally based on the beginning of the song is the same as the beginning of Harlem Shuffle. But um, So this is sort of a copy of a copy of a copy. But um, nonetheless, I think this is marvellous. This is Junior Dell and the D-Lights and uh, covering House of Pain's Jump Around. <laughs>
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>